I didn't know what I was thinking. I expected them to be giants, gods. In reality, they were just three little men, pale-faced with colds. I have some sympathy. The very qualities that made them perfect for the job. But their lack of, of flair or imagination. Their sense of duty and modesty and reliability. Total absence of originality or spontaneity. But or... that's what makes them perfect in a crisis. And entirely anticlimactic when you meet them in person. And imagine, they go all that way to the moon and stay healthy, but one trip to London and he kills them. It's not their fault. They never wanted to be public figures. And now, because of one event, they will be forever. Hmm. They delivered as astronauts, but they disappointed as human beings. Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman, and this show follows the third season of the Netflix original series, The Crown, episode by episode, taking you behind the scenes, speaking with many of the talented people involved, and diving deep into the stories. It's 1969, and while the astronauts from Apollo 11 are landing on the moon, Prince Philip ponders what he might have accomplished had circumstances in his life been different. With the encouragement of the new Dean of Windsor, Robin Woods, Philip realises that real bravery might not lie in attempting the extraordinary acts, but rather in asking ourselves the most difficult questions. We'll cover specific events and scenes that feature in this episode, so if you haven't watched episode 7 yet, please do it now or very soon. Coming up later, we'll hear from composer Martin Phipps about his approach to composing for season three. It was it was fantastic because it focused me in a way that I had been pushed to, to be focused on something before and, and really not think about the picture at all, not think about the end product, but just think about what I was going to try and say and how we were going to work, how the music was going to be in relationship to these characters. We'll also hear from director Jess Hobbs. How do you take something which is essentially about an event that we know succeeded? How do I create jeopardy? It's nearly all on televisions in the 1960s, so they're tiny black and white screens. You didn't see very much. And then turn it into an um, exploration of faith. But first, I spoke with actor Tobias Menzies about taking on the role of Prince Philip. I asked him if it was easy to find his Prince Philip. I just started by just listening and watching him loads, um, which was kind of fine. And then your eyes and your ears start to bleed a bit. But there was a, <laughs> I guess the challenge felt like it was not for it not to be a, an act of mimicry. Yeah. Because, and that's a hard pitch to find because I think if it's too like a pastiche I think that's quite hard to watch for 10 hours yeah it'd be irritating I think so you've got to feel sound and look and feel like him but also then allow the audience then to go through that into the narrative I guess yeah um, but yeah a bit of the kind of magic of the show is oh yeah they are a bit like them aren't they oh that does <laughs> he looks a bit like him there I was really keen for that to continue yeah. um, weirdly I mean I don't know looking back Maybe I should have been more nervous. Uh, I was kind of excited by it more. Great. I loved what Matt had done. It was an amazing resource to have these two seasons of incredibly beautiful storytelling and really great actors working on these characters to give you like the most amazing kind of background to your character. So, 
And then we kind of forgot about it, I think. I mean, I do remember the first few days filming. Uh, yeah, there was a bit of nerves knocking around. and I can't imagine what that first day on set's like. It's like you know, seeing Olivia first day in all her makeup and, and the, that amazing silhouette <laughs> yeah, of the hair. Absolutely. And and that's a, that kind of helps you a lot, I think. Um, there's a bit of magic in the sets. and Yeah. And I remember uh, Ben playing the music a bit. I think the thing as well that when you when we start season three is that we're at a very different time mm. for this family yeah. and for the monarchy. And Philip has grown up a bit mm. in terms of his role is constantly changing. He's still manoeuvring his way around what's his purpose and all that yeah. kind of thing. And we very much get into that in season three as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think in a way... I liked that the show quite confidently went, okay, this is a different set of casts. Obviously, it's the same story, it's the same world, but they didn't. we didn't try and, you know, he's definitely a more middle-aged Philip. Uh, there's no way I can be sort of youthful and bouncy like like, like Matt. You know, there's, it was, he, his was so dashing, and uh, definitely just we had to sort of lean into the fact that it's going to be a different thing. I think Peter was lead, trying to find, was writing something different yeah. for this season. It was heavier, it's less hopeful, it's more weighted down with the kind of responsibilities of family and this institution. It's less less romantic, I think. It's just a bit kind of... Yeah, we're older and it's all a bit harder. Still a bit romance in there, which I know that you're very, you've, there have been a few times that you've, you've gone, oh, just, we need a little kiss here. Oh, gonna... yeah, oh, really? Has someone outed me on that? <laughs> we've had, we've had, we, we've had a lovely sort of run of people who have been enthusing <laughs> about, I guess as an actor, you want to try things and, you know, and be brave with the character as well. And, yeah, that's and, interesting. You know, and oh, that's in. nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, Obviously, at the heart of this show is a marriage, and that felt very important to get all the different kind of colours that a marriage is. And it does feel like... It's certainly one of the things I loved about watching the first two seasons is the magic of, oh, look, maybe they are like that at breakfast. And (laughs) the sort of really domestic kind of just them kind of pootling around and all the different kind of oddities of that. And the more I read, the more they definitely seem to make each other. He you know, makes her laugh. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big sort of ingredient in the relationship. He kind of pokes and sort of makes it less ceremonial, less serious. He just sort of like, he kind of sends <laughs> yeah, the whole thing yeah, up yeah. a bit. He has yeah. a sense of proportion, which I imagine is incredibly helpful to her. He's funny and, you know, like the, uh, quite a few people have like been quite jazzed by the, you're a, uh, a dazzling cabbage, or whatever that line is. <laughs> Why do we do this? Week in, week out, like lemmings. What does it do for you? Honestly. Church. Hmm. There's a chance to take stock, reflect on the past week, think ahead to the next. And here's a diary for that. And to think of life's bigger questions. Except one doesn't. One mainly thinks about. What a lot of dreary nonsense the dean is talking. Why doesn't he shut up? He's been with us for nearly 20 years. That might make him loyal. It does not make him interested. With episode seven, Moondust, mm. it's a really interesting episode specifically for your character. There's so much going on within this for him personally. Mm. Uh, it's obviously yeah, an episode that was dedicated to digging into Philip as a character. Yeah. 
Um, and Peter chose to build that around the moon landings. Um, there's no evidence that he was particularly interested in the moon landings, but um, that, you know that's that's Peter's kind of a, a imagining, and yeah, and through that explores the possibility that Philip is going through a midlife crisis, and I guess is a, a further kind of meditation on Philip's challenge of finding a role within this institution. Yeah. You have stuff in seasons one or two about the difficulties of giving up his career. You know, they, lots of people talked about him sort of walking, you know, a couple of steps behind his wife, what that was for a man of his generation, a kind of alpha male. Um, and this is a, a, a another chapter in that narrative. But I, I, what I like about it is I'm 45. I, I've also come up against those feelings of what have I done with my life? Have I done enough with it? Uh, looking at the choices you've made. Yeah. You know, life is such a blur and you very rarely kind of sit down and make a sort of coherent decision ever. It's just sort of like, you're sort of trying to make it work. Yeah, you're and, reacting to things. And I'm the... sure that's true for someone like Philip, privileged though that life is, extraordinary though that life is. I'm sure you get to, you know, to your middle age and kind of go, ah, have I... Is this good? Yeah. I, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Yeah. yeah. It, and so obviously seeing the extraordinary heroism of the moon landings, however irrational this is, part of him looks at it and kind of goes, that could have been me. I, I should have led or I think I could have led a more heroic life. I could have contributed to the sum of human knowledge more. Yeah. Well, there's that great scene. I don't think there's any kind of record of it, but where they in the plane, and he kind of takes you take control, and you yes, kind yes. of shoots up, tries and to go, like, yeah, yeah, you know, live even for a minute yes. kind of thing. It's sort of you know, he's, he's chasing that adrenaline, he's yeah. chase, chasing that spark. Currently at the very limit of what this aircraft can do. Perhaps. But look, we've also lived. Just for a minute. And so on that level, I really didn't find it hard to get into that headspace. Because I think I'm definitely going through that some of that myself. And obviously the challenge acting-wise is you have a character who is pretty armoured and um, doesn't really show or doesn't intend to tell you what he's feeling. Yeah. Though I, actually, I think energetically, you get a lot off him. Like, yeah. you, you get atmospherically it sort of bursts off him what's going on. He's quite an emotional person, but it's suppressed. And then in the it's an episode in which a lot of that is revealed. So that's the kind of tension yeah. performatively is it's he doesn't want to let it out, but it's it's coming out despite him. I get the sense that he's almost kind of rebelling against that to start with when he has the audience with the priests. I'll tell you what I think. I've never heard such a load of pretentious, self-piteous nonsense. And what you lot need to do is to get off your backsides, get out into the world and bloody well do something. That is why you're all so, so lost. It... I believe that there is an imperative within man, all men, to make a mark. Action is what defines us. Action, not suffering. All this sitting around, thinking and 
talking. I... Let me ask you this. Do you think those astronauts up there are, are, are catatonic like you lot? Of course not. He kind of instantly rejects it. Mm. But then really interested in how he then kind of finds almost solace and camaraderie and friendship and so many things, I think, in that, in that yeah, world. Yeah, I mean, that he... faith is a massive theme in the episode. I guess you have sort of science and faith is, you know, the extraordinary kind of technological feat of the moon landings alongside something much more ancient. It's definitely an uncomfortable relationship at the start of the episode. And some of that is about his mother, who, you know, suffered from mental illness, then had a life of, of quite extreme faith. And you get the sense that Philip distanced himself from that and from his mother's life, wasn't hugely involved. Um, obviously disappeared into a whole other world, you know, marrying the Queen. And then all of that kind of comes back round and he has to sort of look at that. And yeah, and it also articulates the beginning of a very important friendship in Philip's life, which is Robin Woods. So that was a long, long-term relationship, and they published various books together yeah. and um, set up St. George's House, which is this sort of centre for uh, intellectual and spiritual regeneration and sharing. Yeah. And and was one of the surprises when I was looking into Philip that I didn't realise that interfaith and religion was such an important part of his life. To see where some of that started yeah. and I mean again this is an act of fiction so it may be that faith has been quite consistent in Philip's life but yeah we do it that he's sort of highly resistant to begin with and yeah. then is forced to yeah to turn to the thing that he sort of despises at the top of the episode. Another thing that I found really interesting about this episode is how the Queen almost steps up into the role that Philip normally has where she senses there's something not quite right about him and kind of, you know, sort of edging him towards things. Whereas normally he's that role, isn't he? He's the supportive the one. The supportive he's, one, yeah. As he comes to terms with the fact that that's, that is his role, really. Yeah, I one think of. Peter in this series is definitely writing someone who is more at ease with his role and his position. The marriage is in calmer waters, the kind of drama of those struggles in, in seasons one and two have, 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 have balanced out and their challenges are from outside. And then, yeah, I think you're right in this episode, it sort of, in terms of the sort of drama of it, it's slightly reversed. You know, it's usually him giving various shades of advice, some of it helpful, other of it yeah. um, probably... Don't let Margaret yeah. do anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, the rest of it kind of rude. <laughs> um, He's been the one who's always tried to kind of push the crown forward, bringing TV cameras in and, uh, you know... Or making documentaries. Or making documentaries, <laughs> yeah. Or what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> yeah. I like how we get a little insight as well in this season to him and Anne's relationship. Mm. Uh, it's, I think it's well documented that Anne is, um, you know, the child that's most like Philip and the one that he gets along most easily with. She's a bit of a chip off his block, as it were. Yeah. Uh, forthright and sort of like no nonsense and not sensitive like Charles, you know. And sensitivity is clearly something that Philip struggles with. Mm. I think it's partly because he's spent so much of his life having to cover his own sensitivities and vulnerabilities that I think he's allergic to them in other people. Like he's like, no, <laughs> put it away, no. And <laughs> and that's why I think that relationship is so toxic because 
Charles, in a rather amazing way, is just it's very it's all out there. I need to talk about it. Yeah, I need need to to talk. I need it to be Mm. out. And that's funny. um, (laughs) And Anne is more like him. Just go do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's good that. Soon, director Jess Hobbs will join Tobias and I to dig a bit deeper into episode seven. But first, I had the opportunity to sit down with composer Martin Phipps. I guess I want to start, Martin, if it's okay, by asking when you come on board with something that already has a presence. And I guess there's already a kind of canvas in a way there. How did you start and where did you start? And what were the conversations at the start? So I was approached very early on in the process. They hadn't, they were six months off shooting season three and uh, immediately it was like a sort of conflicted thing of, wow, I love this series so much. And (laughs) also how could I possibly follow on from what's gone on before? It was so good. And, you know, you're crazy. Why are you changing everything? (laughs) What's going on here? Uh, But I love the series. I think it's just genius in many ways. And, you know, I was really excited by it. But it was a daunting prospect, for sure. What Hans Zimmer and Rupert Gregson-Williams had done was was fantastic. Uh, Rupert particularly, I think, had done some some beautiful work. Uh, but the conversation was about do, trying to do something different with the music, uh, use it in a different way, and uh, I think just the work process would change. And uh, that all sounded really exciting. And again, in a way of thinking about scoring something in in a in a different in a not not maybe not a conventional way yeah. trying to do something a little different because it is in the end it's period drama it's big budget period drama and but peter morgan was always like i do not want a classic period drama score in any way here and obviously there's restraints about what you can do in the world of 1960s england but i think within that we tried to we tried to at least make the relationship between the music and the action a little bit different how do you work then on a daily basis on the show I guess every day is different. So the process on this series was unlike anything else I'd done. Yeah. And that I came on earlier than I'd ever done before. I said I would start when they started filming. I would be available and start working. And literally within two or three days, Peter Morgan was ringing me up going, OK, so what's the sound? What's, what's the new thing? What are we doing? What are we doing here? Wow. And I was like, <laughs> I haven't seen anything yet. I've... Just had a couple of conversations with you. The director is off filming. I haven't had any conversations with Ben Caron. I haven't had any conversations with him. I, you know, you know, what the f***? <laughs> so, <laughs> and actually, it was fantastic because it focused me in a way that I hadn't been pushed to, to be focused on something before and, and really not think about the picture at all, not think about the end product, but just think about what I was going to try and say and how we were going to work, how the music was going to be in relationship to these characters. And Peter gave me sporadically, but but when they came, they were fantastic. These notes, sort of a series of notes on on different characters, and I just get a sort of a slightly random set suddenly on Mountbatten. He would say, "Look, I've been thinking about Mountbatten, and and this is what I think about him." And he was he sent me a beautiful series of pictures of Mountbatten when he was in his pomp and his prime, and some poems were written about him, and sort of weird little little tiny bits and pieces yeah you know those kind of things were, were truly as inspirational as seeing any scene or photographs of people or you know the actual or seeing the characters in action yeah and did you talk about um instrumentation at all in terms of things that you he wanted that you wanted that he did didn't no, want? no so he was never that specific yeah and which in a way is for me is 
it's great, actually. I, I want to know what he wants to feel, not, yeah. not, how, not what instruments he wants to hear. And that's a real key thing of, of, of I want to, and he says he just, I mean, often he would just say, I want to be moved. I want to be connected to these characters. But no, he would almost, ne- I mean, I'd hit upon a sound and he'd go, I love that. It's about emotion. It's yeah. about feeling. Yeah, yeah. And it's always about, I mean, I think that's when music is at, is at its best is, is when it's, it gets inside the head of a character. It's not describing what's going on on screen. And it's not, uh, hopefully the drama is doing that already. Yeah, and that's why I love the Crown so much because the the drama is doing that already. Yeah. It's very it's very seldom that I have to kind of paper over anything, mm. and a lot of drama scoring, a lot of music writing to picture is often just making a scene work when it's not quite working. And yeah. so then it's about diving in deeper and going into a layer further down, uh, which you might, as an audience, not even knows there. But when you hear the music, it opens something up, and you and you're into uh, the head of a character, and that's. That's the beautiful moment. That's when I'm really, yeah, really works for me. But yeah. that's the clever thing, I think, as well about the, the show is the tone that they create and it surprises you a lot of the time just from a tiny little piece of dialogue or a piece of music or yeah. can just take you off somewhere else and almost kind of let you exhale for a second as well. Yeah. So the, the first episode, it used to be a very long sequence of this stamp being made and cast and, and moulded and then then printed and then then taken in and we had a grand piece of music on it and and it was all like, whoa, look, we're the crown, isn't this grand and we're fantastic? Back. We're back. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we all sat back and looked at it afterwards and it was like no this is just it's it's not right it's too it's 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 expecting too much of our audience it's presuming that they already love the show and they're they're already on board and we've got to draw them in and and be much cleverer than that and unexpected and and so in the end it's something very simple very quick sequence and and the music is very light just a little bit of sort of horn just french horn motif that i that gets used right at the very end of it's from a track that's used right at the end of the episode 10 when she's driving out to the Jubilee. We talk a little bit about um, episode seven, Moondust. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I read a lot of stuff while they were filming, you know, 10, 15, 20 tracks of, of material. And that episode was quite late. It was it was directed by Jess Hobbs and, and she was in the last block. So it was so I was quite involved in other stuff. Actually, five and six were the first episodes that we did in the process. Oh, wow. Um, and seven and ten were, were the last two. But uh, so seven, I... I so basically I gave Jess these tracks and she just she edited to them and put them in and I almost didn't do much to them you know wow. which is which is also an amazing thing and and therefore I think it had a kind of organic it, it sort of sat in the episode really nicely and, and it was there from the beginning and and I tried to mess with them a bit and often just went no let's just leave them alone they're great wow what do you think in within your mind you were creating these 
beautiful pieces out of then in terms of that they they just fitted perfectly. Well, they were very similar themes. The whole the whole sort of big broad the brush strokes that Peter was talking about all this time was was uh, was the, the big architecture of the series. The, these um, gods and monsters, he would say. He would say, think Greek, think think Greek tragedy. Think you know, it's not about small personal feelings. Everything is magnified. Everything is. Is, is it can have a sort of global resonance and this pressure is bearing down on all these people. So then actually you have this presence in this uh, sort of this, this big backdrop to our characters, uh, but then you go in very deep and personal with them and I think the combination of those two. So the music's almost playing that role of this very big backdrop to these to these stories going on. But actually we have some very, very intimate moments with this and, and it's a beautiful episode. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I heard actually some of them play your music on set. Must right. be nice for you to hear because then that, yeah, in yeah, the way yeah, that yeah. that is influencing the performances from the well, cast it means as well. it means something's already connecting with the characters and that they're they're feeling um, that it's part of the world, the right world for them. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, that's a lovely thing, and I think I think having you know having music right from the very beginning of the process is is great and helps everyone get on the same page in you know in lots of ways. How is it when there's a, you know, there's a theme, there's a theme tune for The Crown, there's an opening? Yeah, yeah. How does that kind of, ha- yeah, how do you navigate around that? How do you work? Well, we of- didn't work with that at all. Yeah. And that sort of standalone and, and does its thing, yeah. which is about, I think it's about recognition. Yeah. And, and it, it's it's a great theme and it, it's really good. But we I didn't really work. We'd moved away from that kind of sound and that certainly we weren't as quite as grand and and uh mega as sort of hands mega but that mega reflects patch. the that reflects them i think as well in terms of yeah. you know i think almost kind of for that for those first two seasons they were still they were. in that Absolutely. kind of like yeah. that kind of almost like accentuated regalness yeah. in a way yeah 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 that kind of uh, still in the colonial world of this of the empire and and trying, very turbulent times yeah. and post war and yeah yeah indeed and and now we've moved into the the brown, slightly shabby seventies. <laughs> they're trying to modernise. They're trying to, you know, they're, well, they're... it is, yeah, yeah. And they're caught between a new world and an old world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and definitely, we will try and reflect that more in the music. I mean, we're into the eighties actually in season four, and I'd love to get some get some the synth, keyboards, get out. some synths in there. Yeah, get some cheesy synths. But <laughs> I don't know. We'll see if that happens. That I would yeah. love to hear a synth score for the Crown. Nothing, for, nothing, nothing but, but a, synths. A Juno sixty. Just <laughs> <laughs> Martin, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's thanks. such a treat. It's been a real pleasure. Congratulations on this this beautiful thanks. soundscape you've made for this season. Well, as I say, I, I sit in my, my small box of a studio all day long. It's great to hear you're loving it. <laughs> Look forward to season four. Yeah. Joining Tobias and I is New Zealand native Jess Hobbs. Jess directed episode seven and the final episode in season three. I, I really like it when we have... Um, a member of the cast and a director because it almost kind of sparks memories and conversations immediately with yes. you both. And we were kind of saying, you know, you guys are deep in four at the minute. So we are yep. taking you back to, yes. to yeah. three, which, you know, just take a minute for the cogs to kind of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, it was a very good time though. We had a... It was a very... Yeah. It was a very good collaboration, yeah. I would say. That's a nice way of putting it because... Yeah. No, I feel incredibly blessed that I got to work with Jess on, on Seven. Yeah, we just really... Got along. It was a proper collaboration. We we could I could bounce ideas off yeah. of Jess. 
some of them better than others. <laughs> really? There was one good one. What was well, one? this is the one I was remembering, was talking about going back upstairs to Princess Alice's room. Oh, I did I like came that with, idea. I came though. up with this idea. I, I said, maybe we should have this like flash where suddenly it's Philip in the full moon landing gear. As an astronaut. <laughs> so he's just suddenly in the doorway looking at his his mother's Excellent. as an astronaut. Wow. Not very crown. <laughs> <laughs> but Dress up, I like it. <laughs> I had this like... <laughs> yeah. Not Darth Vader. Does no, that sound like Darth Vader? I didn't mean that like Darth Vader. It's not. This is not. This is not landing on radio. Help! Um, I get yeah. it. So that was an idea that I threw in, and which you, didn't make. And it. your reaction but, was, Jess? Well, my reaction was, I love the idea and where it's coming from. I felt that at that point in the story, we we'd shifted into a into a story about faith and less and about the, the moon about landing. The moon and and, yeah. and it was it was needed to go to a very personal place at that point in time, and I didn't want to distract it. Yeah. Jess, can I take you back though to episode seven and how you, your decision, you know, your thought process about how you'd approach that episode because there are such strong themes in that yes. particular episode. I think if you're telling a story that is about the notion of faith and existence and your place in the world, you want to reach people who might be resistant to it. And I think humour and relaxing an audience and kind of inviting them in is really important. I think entertaining them in a sense in terms of that experience plus I think when you're going on these journeys it's not just one note serious all the way through you have these kind of odd things that happen in your life that when you look back can be very funny and I felt it was really important to explore that from Philip's point of view. The scene that I chewed on most and picked at most was the the astronaut scene yeah and we went round we went round the loop quite a few times on that and it was tonal really. It was. Um, about didn't want the astronauts to be because obviously they're portrayed as these every men in it. So he sort of, in an interesting way, kind of takes these heroes and yeah. then they become very ordinary and they've got colds. But uh, part of me was like, I also, I do want it to be an extraordinary meeting still. Yes. But they, they also have to be extraordinary. They can be completely human and ordinary and with colds. Yes. But not to sort of diminish them. Yeah, the, the, the finding what that journey of hmm. the, how much I'd invested in them, yeah, how the much impact. I hoped that they would have an answer for me. Yeah. And then the disappointment of that. As an adventurer, watching you three heroes at work, it, it was like watching a dream, which is why I, I leapt at the chance to meet with you, even if it is just for, <clears throat> for ten minutes, that I might ask... <sighs> what your thoughts were... out there. Neil? Well, uh... Obviously, uh, a sense of relief that we executed the mission successfully. Well, of course. And we certainly got some amazing views, didn't mm. we? It, 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 yes, we did. Extraordinary. Mm. I think I'm not talking so much about the views in that sense uh, uh, as perspectives, uh, observations of, of our place. Uh... Be honest, there wasn't much time for that. 
one of the great joys of working with Tobias and Olivia is is when you're all of a certain age and you're discovering or talking about midlife crisis, you really understand what you're talking about because <laughs> yeah. you're actually I'm either in it, in it or, <laughs> or been there or, you know. So I felt that there was a lovely shorthand for all of us. Yeah. But it, so when you first read that scene with the astronauts, you could read it as, oh, is he poking fun at them and he's being, he talks about them as just ordinary men with colds. But actually, the more we explored it, it was to do with, well, the entire world put their kind of feelings and thoughts and philosophies and need for explanation on these three men who did a certain job. Mm. But why should they have to share that side of their experience? They'd done their job. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, what yeah. he's asking of them, it's really interesting. They block it slightly. It's not that they, mm. I mean, you could say that they that they don't understand, but I thought that we played it that they did understand what was being asked of them. But well, they, they didn't were like, step into it. It's yeah. not, you know, we've got 10, 15 minutes with you. We don't have a relationship. Yeah. That They're our experiences. And reading a lot about the astronauts in later life, yeah. they talked about profoundness of their experience, but how much they felt that people kind of wanted to access yeah, like or take that from them. Exactly. Of, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, particularly Michael Collins, I remember just the, I, I, there was an extraordinary recording I was listening to about, and we actually did shoot part of this. This didn't make it in yeah, another idea, yeah. which was him in the capsule alone. Because when you listen to the recording of it, it's one of the NASA recordings, he goes around the dark side of the moon and he's the only person that isn't seeing what's happening. So he's involved in this enormous operation and he's saying on the recording, is the picture good? Does it look okay? Are oh people God. getting this? It's so moving what his experience is and there's actual footage of him. The only human is like, not seeing the it. The only yeah. human is, I mean, I'm sure there are other people that weren't. This is probably our middle class perspective. True. However, it felt like it was a global event that yeah. he was part of and yet not part mm. of. He was parked around the back in mm. a van. <laughs> not able to see it. He's a getaway man. He's yeah, a getaway yeah, man. Yeah. It was really kind of. But it was also, it was what was really interesting, when I first came onto this, Peter gave me a few scripts to read. It was great and was saying, you know, what interests you? And I really picked this out. My, my father trained to be a Catholic priest. Oh, wow. Left in his fifth year of the seminary and I read the script and thought, it terrifies me. How do you take something which is essentially about an event that we know succeeded? How do I create jeopardy? It's nearly all on televisions in the 1960s, mm. so they're tiny black and white screens. You didn't see very much. And I love going towards things that scare me. Yeah. And then turn it into a, um <clears throat> exploration of faith in the greater sense. It, yes, it's religious, but for me, faith is a much more kind of humanistic idea that's what I wanted to explore and I think both Tobias and I felt it so it did have a very personal resonance for me in that yeah. way that final speech that he gives to that room the detail you, yeah. The, yeah the emotion and the timing and just the yeah, yeah it was a long relationship with that scene because that's what I auditioned with with the, oh wow was that scene so that was, you know, however long ago. Um, How long- different was it from the one you did to audition in terms of the the word and instruction? Oh, um, pretty pretty similar. I don't think it, I think that was kind of dialed in and yeah. didn't change much. That's I think it very, might have gotten longer. I think, that's yeah. very interesting though, because I know that one of the things we talked about, or I think it was, Peter was talking about it. I think various people were auditioning, and some people made it very emotional that speech mm. and what Tobias did was made it very held and when it's very held it's much more emotional as a viewer yeah. when then when the emotion is spilling out and I think that oh, just as a kind of huh. base yeah. note of where you approached it from he he said I immediately knew that's who should pay, play Philip as huh. soon as he saw you do that and that came through that's interesting yeah I mean that does seem a fundamental truth 
that you know when you listen to him and watch him he really is working very hard not to give anything away emotionally so yeah. which in a way you know psychoanalytically it speaks to probably a lot of emotion inside yeah that always felt like a, a sent, you know, absolutely essential ingredient to him is that yeah it's in there and he doesn't want it out there wasn't a, a specific moment uh, when it started. It's been more of a, a gradual thing. The drip, drip, drip of, of doubt, disaffection, disease, dis discomfort. People around me have noticed my general uh, irritability. Um, no, <laughs> of course, that's, that's nothing new and generally a cantankerous sort, but even I would have to admit that there, there has been more of it lately. And not to mention uh, an almost jealous fascination with the achievements of these young astronauts, compulsive over-exercising, an inability to find calm or satisfaction or fulfillment. And when you, you look at all these symptoms, of course it doesn't take a, a genius to tell you that they all suggest I'm slap bang in the middle of a... <laughs> I, I, I can't even say what kind of crisis. Through the architecture of that episode, he is driven to a point where, almost despite himself, he has to go back to this man who he's ridiculed, belittled, uh, been pretty rude to. And it's also about masculinity. I mean, yeah. to see a, so someone like Philip and you know, a man talk like that, I, that certainly seems to have struck a nerve with male friends of mine. Yeah. They're like, Oh, yeah. I think the journey go it really starts with the astronaut scene, which is both funny but quite revealing and a bit sad. And I think It's true, a lot next, hangs on that. You, that a lot hangs on which is why you were right to be so anxious yes. about it. But in, I think we've spent a lot of time and it's finding that balance between the humour of it and yet what he's reaching for makes sense to us. We can kind of relate to it. And then he has the conversation with the Queen. And she says, well, it's kind of like us, really. Imagine mm. spending your life like that. And that's what starts him thinking. And then he goes to visit his mother. And that's when the reveal comes to us that the Queen knows from the beginning of the episode that his mother has died, but we don't. And it was really interesting because we went back and forth onto whether to have your mother's funeral at the beginning of the episode. It was so right that we didn't. Yes, yes. Because it needed right. to be a reveal. My mother died recently. She, she saw that something was amiss. It's a good word, that. Amiss. She saw that something was missing in her youngest child, her only son. Faith. How's your faith, she asked me.
I'm here to admit to you that I've lost it. And without it, what is there? That had to be almost subtextual, slightly. Yeah. yeah. In that he's reaching for a language that he can't find, but he is asking, like, what's it all about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's my stomach gurgling again. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. What fun, that was that really was right. enjoyable. Was great. Thank you. Thank you. We should be saying that to you, was that right? Oh my yeah, God, that's, that's amazing. I'm Edith Bowman, and my special thanks to our guests on this episode, Tobias Menzies, Martin Phipps and Jess Hobbs. The Crime, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and something else in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join us next time when we go behind the scenes of episode eight called Dangling Man, which focuses on the young royals Charles and Anne and explores how romantic relationships are approached and often managed in the royal household. Camilla Shand, eh? Yes. You're seeing her ex, Andrew. Not sure you can call what we're doing seeing. Not sure you can call him an ex. Either. Camilla told me. He's definitely an ex. Hmm. Just make sure things remain the right way round. Us playing with Camilla and Andrew. Not them playing with us. What does that mean? <laughs> Anne. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.